Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Damien Barr, welcoming you to another Salon exclusive, where you get to be the first to hear about the upcoming books that we are most excited about. Now, I've got this one in my hand right now. It's called The Go-Between, and it's a memoir by Osman Youssef Zada. And I was so excited when I read about this deal a few years ago, because Osman is one of the most fascinating people working in the world today. He's an artist. He's a textile designer. He's an activist. So his clothes have been worn by Beyonce, Lady Gaga, Tandaway Newton, Gwen Stefani. He is the ultimate in cross-disciplinary coolness. Anyway, this is his story of growing up in 1980s Birmingham. He grew up very much on the wrong side of the tracks. The mosque that his family attended is in the red light district. And his family are Pashtun, so they're very closed off migrant community alongside other communities in a very densely packed part of the city. His childhood is full of contradictions and contrasts of not just East and West, masculinity and femininity. He's obsessed by his mother's dressmaking skills, which very much puts him at odds with the traditional masculinity of his Pashtun upbringing. So his youth is spent weaving between worlds um, and confronting taboos and establishing his own identity. And really that's what he's still doing in the world today. It's an absolutely fascinating individual and you're going to love this book. Satnam Sangera, who is one of our favourite guests and one of our guest hosts here at the salon has said the book is compelling and humane while the guardian calls it beautifully observed and funny now here's osman to transport you to 1980s birmingham hello i'm osman yusuf zada and i'm so happy to be reading exclusively for listeners of damien Barr's literary salon for my new book to go between the go-between is a story that shines light into a hidden community, a coming-of-age story set in Birmingham in the 80s and 90s. I'm now an artist and a designer, and I wanted to share this world with you. So this is a story of people I love, people who have shaped me. We all live together in a red-light district on the wrong side of tracks. It's about the divide between the world of men and women, the divide between communities, the divide between Western teachings and traditions. There's fear, violence, rivalry and love. But friendships prevail. The experiences were funny, moving, harrowing and often surreal and sometimes all at once. The go-between takes you from Birmingham to the banks of the River Kabul and the River Indus and eventually to the London of my teenage years. As I weaved in and out of these worlds, struggling with race, class and family expectations, I began to understand myself and understand the people who shaped me. This reading from the book is about the innocence of childhood and my love of jelly. God, Jelly and the Corner Shop Anne owned F. Allen's and had a dowager hump and a serious demeanour. She moved slowly in her brown work coat behind an alluring counter filled with cream cakes and ice buns. Her coat matched her old brown till and she would push levers to clunk out totals with fingers that had mesmerising large nodes on them. Anne was always curt. Can I please have some custard? Would be met with a gruff. Over there, next to the jelly. This one phrase filled me with deep despair. Secretly, I yearned for jelly. But for us, the orthodox, the truest of Muslims, it was now forbidden, of which much more later. 
so custard was the next best thing. I never saw Anne talking at length to anyone apart from her friend Marable, who regularly stood on the other side of the counter with curlers in her hair and a brightly coloured scarf to protect them, a mug of tea in hand. Marable did most of the talking, how so-and-so was now with a black man and how a neighbour had sold her house to a packy and moved to another neighbourhood. Anne would nod along, repeatedly glancing over at Marable while serving customers. Mid-transaction, Anne would suddenly say, I was thinking about her the other day, or splutter inexplicable, oh God, swiftly followed by, that would be 30 pence, as she clung a coin into her till and then passed the change to me on a brown plastic tray with a hand marked by her gold wedding band. Maybe she didn't like touching her customers' hands, or maybe it was classier to hand back your change on a mini platter. To my eyes, her nodular fingers perfectly and rather eerily echoed her dowager hump. She scared me somewhat, but back then it was felt nice to hang out with white folk, to have them speak to you, for them to be impressed by your manners and your English. Anne must have been at least 60 or 70. I heard she had lost her husband, Mr. Allen, the war. For ages I confused that with the Great War. She seemed old enough. F. Allen stood on Ladypool Road and occupied the crossroads of Birmingham's Moseley's, Barkhill and Borsal Heath slums. The area surrounding the shops was evolving into a collage of abstract colours and smells, a babble of different languages and tongues, and a bevy of women in headscarves, some fully covered, some less so. The women from my orthodox Patan community were the most covered and the least integrated in South Birmingham. They rarely ventured out onto the high street, let alone to F. Allen's, even if they happened to pass it on their way to somewhere else. They were not allowed to go and shop by themselves, Instead, Lady Perode was a stompy ground of Hindu women in saris of bright hues under Macintoshes and the less orthodox Muslim women in headscarves and colourful chadars, women who did their own shopping and made their own decisions. These women mixed freely, wandering amongst the men, the men who were able to go wherever, with their beards, peaked caps and tailored blazers over traditional costumes. There were men in skull caps, men in turbans, Sikh men in vibrant colours, Muslim men in plain cotton or Bedouin check cloths that had been brought back from sacred Mecca, all mixed together like a heavy, fragrant biryani. There were Indians, there were Pakistanis and the Irish who had been there the longest and were beginning to move out of the inner city slums. The West Indians, the Rastafarians, the East Africans, the Bangladeshis, the newly arrived Afghans, layer upon layer, we made our own cultural Battenberg of many colours. I only recall Anne noticing me properly once, when one day, to my huge surprise, she fixed her beady eye on me. Why aren't you at school? She barked suspiciously. It was one of my stomachache days. Stomach aches were a routine way for me to get out of most things, especially school. It was infinitely safer to stay at home, hang out with mum and her visiting clients and her sewing machine rather than face torments at school. This was my second year and the worst of my school years. The first had been easy. I had entered into class Y where all the mediocre students had been sequestered. Years before, Mrs. Vincent, head of Queensbridge, had graded us and it had been declared that our ability was not the same as those in the upper forms. Our neighbouring class Z had been sifted through Mrs. Vincent funnel, apparently showing even lower levels of erudition. Mrs. Vincent had 
visited our primary school to meet everyone as she was canvassing for Queensbridge High and looking for new recruits. I wasn't there when she visited and was therefore judged in absentia. When I came in the following day, everyone was talking about her. Up until high school, I'd been one of the clever ones. There were four of us in the final year of primary school under Mrs Briggs, who had been earmarked for the 11 plus exam. Passing this would mean a place at grammar school where children were selected by academic ability. We were given special books on grammar and mathematics. Neither came naturally to me. Every Friday, Mrs Briggs took us through a chapter of the special books. The four of us would crowd round our table and listen to her, though sometimes my head would be ruminating on the painting that I'd done yesterday, judging it by far the best in the class, or the short story that got me a gold star. I never liked trying hard at anything. If it came naturally and I enjoyed it, then I would get through the other side. So it was Kismet when we were given the date for the 11 plus exam. It was to be held just outside the centre of town on a Saturday. I told my dad and he said that would clash with mosque prayers. He didn't have a car and Barak Shah also had plans, so that was that. The day of the grammar school entrance exam came and went. The other three took it while I went to the mosque and rocked back and forth, memorising words from God's holy book. And I am so delighted that Osman joins us on the show. He refers to himself as an artist and designer, but he is so much more. As I said earlier, Beyonce, Lady Gaga, all wear his clothes. I'm not wearing them right now. I'm wearing a new set of pajamas that I got for Christmas, but I'm still excited about those. The Go-Between is written by Osman Yusuf Sada. It is published by Edinburgh-based independent press, Canongate, who you know we love. So I recommend getting a copy from your local independent bookshop, or you could buy a copy directly from the salon. We have got a shop on bookshop.org, and if you go there, you can help support everything that we do. If you know anybody who loves a literary podcast, and of course you do because you're that kind of person, then please do recommend this to them by sharing this episode across your socials. We always appreciate your help getting the word out about incredible authors, especially debut authors. So thank you for listening and join us again soon. <laughs>